Welcome to Idle Chatter, brought to you by the Machinery Digest, where steel and soil meet. A weekly podcast by a New Jersey farmer to all farmers and ranchers across this great nation. And yes, there are farms in New Jersey. Regardless of the crop you grow or the livestock you raise, we all have one thing in common. Agriculture runs on passion, sweat, tears, and machinery, and that is why the Machinery Digest exists, a no-nonsense, grease-under-your-fingernails educational website. It was created to provide a transfer of knowledge so that you can maintain, service, and most importantly, understand today's complex farm equipment. My name is Ray Bohax, and I farm too. It is time now to get under the sheet metal. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Idle Chatter. Hopefully, uh, the sound of my voice has good things going on in your life and your farm as we get ready for Thanksgiving week here in the United States. And I know that there's uh, a similar holiday, a Thanksgiving day up in Canada. I think it is before hours in the United States, and I'm sure that there is uh, celebrations like that around the world. And I want to touch on that in about a minute. But first, I need to do some housekeeping work with you guys. And I want to apologize. I have to apologize profusely. Boy, did I mess up last week. And I'm not going to give any excuses. Uh, I messed up and I read the toolbox test question, but I never provided the answer at the end of the show. So that is not good. So we're going to revisit that toolbox test, which is test number two, question number one. So we're going to make believe that uh, last week never happened, right? So I didn't mess that up quite badly. And it's funny how, you know, when you do things like that in life, whether it's during the, you know, during the show like this, or you forgot to pay a bill, or you, you know, you do, you worked on something, oh my God, I didn't think I tightened that bolt, or I didn't put that last bolt in or something, is that I was, uh, every morning I go to a, a, the TA truck stop to have coffee. It's about 19 miles from our farm. And yes, I even know rural New Jersey is rural. There are places for coffee closer than that, but I enjoy going there. It gets me out of the house, away from the property. And I leave about five o'clock in the morning and I go there and I, uh, I get to uh, walk around and I walk about two miles. And I like to look at the trucks. There's always something interesting. I meet interesting people and I, uh, draw it up with some people there and it's 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 a blessing to me i walk around i say my prayers when i'm walking around and i just get away from everything because as you guys know as you work on the farm and i work on the farm obviously but i also my business as being being a technical writer and consultant and podcaster right is uh and the website the farm machinery digest website is all based up at the farm over here so i really need to get away and go someplace uh to get started i learned that 20 years ago when I started this career that I could not just go from upstairs in the bedroom to my office in the basement of the farmhouse and start to write or start to do anything. I needed some um, some a mental diversion. I needed some, uh, some stimulation. But anyway, so I was coming home from the truck stop back to the farm the other day, and then I realized that uh, it was my show posts on Wednesday, and this was Wednesday morning, and I realized, oh my God, I, I never answered the toolbox test question. So, hey, I guess I'm more than human, so I apologize for that. And I also uh, want to thank uh, thank all of you for not chastising me through emails at, at Hot Rod Farmer at FarmMachineryDigest.com. So anyway, I need to do that. I need to address that. So we're going to revisit that today. And then I also wanted to uh, to tell you that each Thursday on the Ag News Daily podcast, which is with Delaney Howell and Mike Pearson, and they're on the Global Ag Network, and I do a thing called the Hot Rod Farmer Minute, and as I said before, it's actually two minutes, but that didn't sound good, so I do the Hot Rod Farmer Minute, and it's a little tech tip. I think you'll find value in them, or I hope you find value in them, and then also every Wednesday, so on Thursday, it's, it's on Ag News Daily, A-N-D, and then on Wednesdays, uh, Casey Seymour, in, on his move, Excellent Moving Iron podcast, features a different Hot Rod Farmer Minute. 
So that's on his on his show on Wednesday or on his website, I should say. So you could check that out. And I think that you'll find value in, as I said, and uh, they're short little, short little uh, uh, tidbits. Actually, I patterned it after uh, the uh, the guy in the, there's a, there's a, that home show guy, uh, uh, Vila Vila. I forgot what his first name is. He does on the radio uh, a Vila minute or something. So I actually patterned and got the idea from that. You know, it's funny how in life you always get ideas from somebody else. And they ultimately get ideas from you. You put it all together. But I felt that it was a good thing for the industry. And they're also being warehoused on my website, farmmachinerydigest.com. So I wanted to tell you about that. I told you about uh, me messing up the toolbox test last week. We will forget about that, right? And then also, uh, hopefully, by next week at this time, I will have up the second annual hot rod farmer christmas buyer's guide what to get the hot rod farmer in your life for christmas and we did this last year and the show was brand new and it was uh i have to humbly say it was very 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 well received and got a lot of listeners and uh, months after uh christmas so basically the gift guides but the things that probably most people wouldn't think about and what i do is i do the podcast I mean, that's an independent podcast it's not in lieu of the weekly idle chatter. It's in addition to that. And it's on all the networks that host me along with my website. And then I also do on my website, I do an article uh, which basically shows a picture of each thing I suggest and gives a link to the company's website. So if you're interested in that, you could check that out. So basically, in essence, um, the podcast talks about those items, and it's a shorter show. I try to keep, well, last year I tried to keep it around 20, 22 minutes, and uh, that seemed to work out pretty good. And I'm going to try to do the same thing this time. And then you could go to the website, my website, farmmachinerydigest.com, and actually see that the, the, the item I'm talking about, that's probably the best word, the item. And because, uh, uh, it could, could be a tool, it could be something for an engine, it could be something for the shop, what have you. It's eclectic. And then you could get a link to the website and uh, somebody could check that out and hopefully they could get you a gift that keeps on giving throughout the rest of the year. But most importantly, I would like to take a moment because this is Thanksgiving week. This is the Monday uh, before Thanksgiving and I want to just thank everyone everyone who listens to my show and it's uh as i said before it's very very humbling to sit or at least for me it is to sit in front of or i guess i sit behind the microphone because the microphone's in front of me right um but to sit here and to be able to for you to listen to me and and to take this mission this this that's been about a dream of mine for a couple of years now to try to get out into the field and to try to educate the farmers and ranchers of America and ultimately around the world about their machinery as my small way of making them more profitable. And I really need to thank all of you because without you listeners, I'm talking to myself and without the people who come to the website. But I also want to thank Firestone Ag and AgroLiquid for their, their support of me this uh, dryland farmer would started a new podcast and they came on board right away and they saw the value in what I was doing. And I greatly, greatly appreciate that. And, you know, I want to also bring light to this. And even though they're helping me bring you this show each week, which I'm greatly appreciative of, as I said before, is that I believe strongly in those products. If I did not, I would not have them on the show because that's not what this is about. This is not about just getting advertisers or getting sponsors, whatever term you want to use it. I have to believe in the product. But, you know, the interesting thing, and it's easy to lose sight of this, is that both AgroLiquid and Firestone, Firestone Ag is actually, you know, as you know, sponsors the special delivery segment of the show, which uh, I don't think there was ever one question about tires. So there's no vested interest in them. I'm there talking about their tires. And then AgroLiquid, the past few months, or past, I think, six or seven weeks, has been sponsoring the toolbox test. And again, I want to emphasize that, you know, that has nothing to do with fertilizer. And I really, really 
need for you guys to understand that. And when it comes time to come into the marketplace for a tire or for fertilizer, to consider those companies. Because I think if you consider them and look at them realistically, they will earn your business. And just like I want to earn your your ear time, you're listening every week, they will earn your business. But, you know, it's very easy for a company to go and sponsor something. Let's say for a company like AgroLiquid to sponsor an agronomy event because there are people there talking about, about agronomy and growing crops and what have you. Or a company like Firestone Ag to go out there and sponsor something, something directly related with tires. But these companies are showing their true your true passion for agriculture by sponsoring something that has nothing at all to do with their core business. And that is the hot rod farmer, the uh, special delivery segment with Firestone and the toolbox test with agro liquid. So I truly want to thank them. And I also want to thank all of the networks that host me. That's the Fran network, which is the farm and rural ag network, ag daily, uh, which is part of carbon media, the glow and also the global ag network and then and then there's a new network that came out a couple of i guess a few months ago out in Eng, in england in ireland and it's called eat farm now and the show is on all of those networks not counting itunes google play whatever fm player whatever it's all the other things but those are like nondescript entities and these are real true entities so i want to thank them also and then once again i want to thank you And I want to thank you because you've all been a blessing in my life and you've given me, provided me this platform to come out and to share with you what the good Lord has given me and showed me over the years with machinery. I don't know all the answers. I never will know all the answers, but it is my goal to help to make the farmer and rancher in the United States, Canada, and around the world more profitable. And I want to thank you for all of your efforts to help feed the world because without that without you guys we would have nothing there would be there would be nothing so it's uh, it's really a, it's it's a time where you know, I just want to close with one other thought and it's an emotional time for me to say this to you because I am so grateful for everything and I want to try to say it succinctly and oftentimes I don't I stumble upon my, over my words but and this has to do a little bit with agro liquid for the first time I went to their facility was in 2015 I think in July, I went with my wife and I went back in, in November, just before Thanksgiving, to visit the facility. They have a they have a, a building there called the IQ Hub. And if you're ever up in Michigan, you need to check that out. And it it, it, it talks about, it, it's just wonderful. It's, it's basically explaining how plants take up nutrients in the history of fertilizers. It has nothing to do with them. But anyway, when I pulled up in November of 2015, and they have a, it's a beautiful facility. They have a lighted sign outside, and it was just before Thanksgiving. And on the sign, they had, and I never forgot this. It says, if you're thankful for all that you have, then whatever you have is enough. And that really resonated with me. And I think we really need to think about that specifically with all the struggles we've had in the past couple of years with agriculture. I don't think there's a year that there are no struggles but we had so many struggles with weather, with market conditions, what have you, and just a whole, it basically was a confluence of many events coming together. And it was so, it's so easy, it's so easy. I know myself and, and my farm is a small Mickey Mouse operation. The livelihood of my wife and I are not 100% dependent upon our farm, like it is for a lot of you that are listening. But you know, I think that if we apply that if we apply that logic, not only on Thanksgiving, but especially to bring it into our minds and Thanksgiving into our heart, that if we are grateful for whatever we have, then whatever we have is always enough. And uh, I know that just seeing that on that sign in front of the Agro Liquid Building back in 2015 has been a thought that constantly resonates in my mind when things go bad, things go wrong, and what have you. So, uh, so look, you know, we're coming to the end of 2019. 2020 is a new year. It's full of promise, and I think if we look back retrospectively, with all of the challenges that almost everyone had in agriculture, uh, specifically in North America, this past year, we are, we have a lot to be grateful for because we are still here. We're healthy. 
and we have the opportunity and the ability to farm again in 2020 and what a wonderful blessing that is and so please enjoy your holiday with your family and your loved ones enjoy the thanksgiving take take some time to to look out the window on the farm and see what a blessed life you have for being able to live out in the country and in the greatest nation in the world so enjoy that and i want to thank you once again for everyone who listens because you are truly a blessing to me and i would be absolutely nothing but a poor dry land farmer in my basement talking into a microphone which uh, i guess uh, without you that would what it would be so thank you so much and we will uh i just hopefully god willing will it be uh another thanksgiving show 2020 right so that'll be two years two years of anniversary of this uh idle chatter podcast all righty but let me see what else that i wanted to say that's it uh spent enough time talking about that uh you know another thing i wanted to hear is another thing right yeah, as I said, I go to the truck stop every morning. I really enjoy that because I get to uh, walk around and see stuff. I have my coffee and they walk around. I see the trucks. I see the things on the trucks and what have you. And uh, the other day I saw my first, first that I saw on the road, um, new Chevy, uh, I guess they're a medium duty truck. They're 4,500, 5,500 series. And they're the tilt nose trucks. So they, they call them Silverado's. But I had I had known that on the Chevy version. Now I don't know about the GMC version, what they did with that. So I'd have to look if I could see one. But this is the first ones that I've seen on the road. Not that I rode by a dealer and saw it. But I had known about this from one of the engineering uh, articles about them about six, seven, eight months ago. Is that the bow tie? If you look at the bow tie on one of those Chevys on the grill, the bow tie is huge. But they actually call it a flow tie, F L O W T I E because what they what they found out what general motors found out is during the development of those trucks is that the area of the bow tie if it was blocked off was impeding the cooling system and you know we would never think of something like that but you know as they start as all of the manufacturers start to push push these engines push this equipment and you know that same thing holds true for whether it's a combine or whether it's a truck or a car, what have you, when you start to push the envelope, it's like pushing the envelope would yield, is that all these little things make a difference. And so what they found out, they were having cooling system issues. And what they did is they they opened up the bow tie and made just a perimeter of the Chevy bow tie and left that open in the grill, and that, and that made the cooling system much more efficient. So they're calling it, within the industry, they're not calling it marketing, they're calling it a flow tie, because it's an open bow tie for flow. But the reason why I'm sharing that with you is uh, has, is is for, uh, it's twofold. Number one is that I, you know, if you get a chance to see one as an FYI, just look at it. But I want you to, to take that same logic, that same logic and apply it to everything that you do on your farm. And, and I've said this before, you know there's never you're never going to be as successful as you possibly could be unless you apply that logic and some people might say well that's tiring right and i'm not going to i'm not going to deny it it probably is tiring but you have to try to look at everything and leave no stone unturned and it's just, and that is what i want you to do with your equipment and with your farm shop i don't want you to just accept failure something breaks down and yeah things break and i always say that but i want you to uh to 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 look at everything and examine it and say hey is there a better way for me to do this and i also ask you because i have no i have no right to to demand this i could suggest it but i ask you as i said last week i'm going to tell you this every week to take a couple of elements of the show each week and then explain those bullet points to someone else so you could cement it in your mind and that's going to be the best way for you to learn and to also understand but as i said before for it to become a mental trigger for it'll be a knee-jerk reaction for when something comes up because if you talk about it, if you explain it to somebody you will i be able to connect that dots and you know usually and you know to get back to that flow tie and using that as an example is that they could have said, well, hey, you had a heck with it. Well, whatever, well, that's, that's how it is. Or maybe we'll kill 50 horsepower or 20 horsepower out of the motor. Or we'll do this or we'll do that. We'll make the radiator a little bit bigger or what have you. 
but you know to to the engineers credit in general motors what they basically did is they looked at what was happening there and they found out by that simple measure of having the bow tie on the grill open the flow tie that their cooling system became more efficient and you know and if you look at that if you look at that same thing and apply that same metric is that to to, to yield to to crop yield and production if you look at these high yield guys that's what they're doing they're no smarter than you and i but what they're doing is they're recognizing things and they're applying it you know and oftentimes just like in engineering you get a guy who's a an engineer and you know he knows all the mathematics and everything but but not necessarily does he have the skill sets and the experience and the empirical knowledge to be able to actually build that motor he could design the connecting rod and, but he may not be able to build that motor and make it work and put it all together. And if you look at also that same mindset of the high-yield farmers, none of them that I know of are agronomists. So they've learned just enough about plant physiology and they didn't come to the table with any preconceived ideas of how things work. So sometimes too much education is not good all right but the the most successful people would be to have the education and then and know how to how to take the education to a certain level and then say hey i'm going to try this because mathematically if you probably figured out the area of that bow tie on the grill you would not think it would impede the air the cooling system performance because the area is not that large but empirically that we know they learned that it does and that's why the flow tie exists and why I'm telling you this is I want you to take elements each week from the show, each week from the website, from the Hot Rod Farm a Minute, and I want it to be a catalyst to trigger your thought process to be able to say, hey, I'm going to apply this or I'm going to tweak it, I'm going to apply it. And as I always say to you, oftentimes it's a thought process. It's nothing more than that. And I warned you last week I'm going to beat you with this because I want you to be successful. It's tough love, baby. I want your farm to be successful. I want your ranch to be successful. I want your vineyard to be successful, whatever you have. And uh, you need to think out of the box, and you need to also take ideas from all different areas. So just remember that flow tie, right? And when you go out into the field and you look at something, sometimes the slightest change makes the biggest difference and that's either in yield or it could be in your machinery or the performance and the effectiveness and the and the the the, uh longevity is the word i'm looking for of your machinery so now that we've done that all right i've lectured you once more and beat you up but hey i'm like i said i'm your marine drill sergeant this is uh usmca right here united states marine corps but but what we're going to talk about today is breaks and the reason why I came in with this lead into the show is because most people don't think about brakes. And I don't care whether it's brakes on a car, pickup truck, whether it's on a farm tractor, whether it's on a wagon, whether it's on a sprayer, or what have you. But we're going to talk about brakes. And the only time people think about brakes is when the brakes are worn out. All right. So I am going to ask you to be open minded to what I'm going to say. And what, what will be discussed and i'm going to ask you to apply it because i know i'm not making this stuff up i know that this works all right so the first thing that i want to say to you is that you should be able to extend by applying the logic that i am going to reveal over the next 15 to 20 minutes during the idle chatter podcast that you should be able to greatly extend the life of the brakes on all of your equipment slash vehicles. Now, so let's say arguably you're getting 20,000 miles out of set of brakes on your pickup truck. If I could show you how to get 40,000 miles out of it, wouldn't that be wonderful? That would be great, right? Because for, you're, not, you're not going to be putting money into brakes and taking time away from your business, which is agriculture, and doing a brake job every 20,000 miles. If you could extend that to 40,000 miles, that's wonderful. If you are normally getting 40,000 miles and you can extend that to 60 to 80,000 miles, then that is just as wonderful, right? Because you're taking your time and your money to put it into your business instead of doing an unnecessary repair. And, uh, and that logic 
that logic is going to make the difference on your bottom line in every aspect of your business. So what are we going to need to do? First of all, I'm not going to talk about driving hard with the brakes. That's, I think you know that, that if you're hard on the brakes, they're going to wear out prematurely. So I'm going to say that you drive, that you're, that you drive, you drive, you, you drive correctly to not use ag- aggressive braking procedures, brace, uh, aggressive braking, that procedures. All right, so now what can we do mechanically? What can we do as far as the, the parts are concerned to make the brakes last? Now, first of all, you need to understand that when any vehicle or piece of equipment is new, is that when it comes from the factory, there is a synergy between the friction material and the friction surface and so we'll talk about it could be a disc brake or a drum brake it makes no difference whether it's air operated air brakes on a semi or whether it is uh pneumatically operated not pneumatic hydraulically operated uh like on a car or a pickup truck so there is a there is a synergy between the friction material which is the the pad compound or the brake shoe compound and the metallurgy of the rotor or brake drum that it works against. And one of the things to have the proper braking performance. Now, what is the proper braking performance uh, encompass? It it encompasses obviously a short stopping distance. It encompasses an ability to shed water and not have the effect, the, uh, the effectiveness of the brakes impacted in wet conditions. It's the length of life of the friction material and the friction surface, the pad or the rotor, the lack of noise when stopping, and also the lack of brake dust. So those five things are criterias for for brakes and for friction material and for friction surfaces. Now, what will happen is that when the engineer designs the pad and designs the friction surface, the metallurgy of the of the rotor or the drum is that there is a complex synergy that's established here. Now, to accomplish or to achieve those five goals, and once you start to change either the pad material or the metallurgy of the friction surface, then some of those goals and maybe all five of those goals will will become will will uh, be diminished will will not be as effective all right so you may have good stopping ability but you may not have good you may have a pad that holds water you may have a pad that stops good and 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 doesn't hold water so in other words its performance is constant even in the in the in the wet when the uh, brake rotor or drum gets wet but you may have excessive wear or you may have excessive wear of the pad or excessive wear of the brake friction surface so that all comes together so i don't want to imply that the vehicle is not going to stop but i want to imply what i want to drive home is that you're going to get the law i want you to have the safest vehicle with the longest life and the minimal amount of investment and to do that you need to recognize the synergy so the first thing that i want to say to you is on a newer piece of equipment or a newer vehicle your best bet and I know you're going to cringe as people over there cringing because they know what I'm going to say is to buy the factory parts. So if you have a Ford, go to Ford and buy the factory OE brakes, pads, and OE rotors. If you have a GM, if you have a Ram, do the same thing. If you have John Deere, go to John Deere. If you have Case, go to Case and buy those parts. You're going to pay a little bit more, but what's going to happen is you're going to have the actual you're going to have the synergy of the friction material and the friction surface for as new braking performance and braking life all right so that's the most important thing that you could do right in the beginning if you have an older vehicle or an older piece of equipment and the factory parts are no longer available or their price so astronomically high now keep in mind for instance like i have fords if I go to the Ford dealer and I look to buy brake pads and rotors from the Ford dealer and I go to the local auto parts store, to tell you the truth, it's really not any more expensive. And if it is, it's only a couple of dollars more and I'm getting the OE quality instead of an aftermarket part. And I will address that a little bit in a, in a few minutes. So now if you are going to 
have if you have a, an application that you can no longer get factory parts and or the factory parts are so astronomically expensive because they're making such a short production run and you have to go with aftermarket components i'm not against aftermarket i don't want you ever to think about but i would rather go with a factory part if i could if it is available then what i would say to you is buy a brand name fact a brand name brake parts which is the the rotors drums pads or shoes and buy them from the same manufacturer so if you're going to buy a wagner brake pad and you're going to change the rotors then get wagner rotors with it don't go from like a chinese restaurant one from column a one from column b because you have a much better chance of getting this synergistic effect of the the proper marrying of the friction surface and the friction material when you stick with one manufacturer and what happens lots of times is that you may have the oe pads original equipment pads wear out and you have the oe rotor still or oe brake drum still on the vehicle and then you go into town and you buy a set of aftermarket pads and throw that or brake shoes and throw that on there and then now you have this i'm not gonna like i said i'm not gonna say it's not gonna stop but if you're truthful with yourself most of the time the braking performance to feel the amount of dust the squeal or the the component life does not live up to the factory part and that's simply because you have that that mismatch there for lack of better terms and so so keep that so keep that in mind so try to buy the parts from the same from the same manufacturer and you have a much better chance of having that part have the synergy the synergy that is required for proper performance and if you look in a lot of the aftermarket lines they'll have two or three like when it comes to like brake pads they'll have two or three different i don't want to say models or uh, levels so they may have their with their premium or premium or their gold i'm making up names or they may have their silver or their platinum or what have you and if you go with their best their best line within that aftermarket manufacturer is you're going to get the highest quality product because what will happen is that they'll have they'll have the resources there to be able to go and and make a more of a specific blend of of the materials to meet that need instead of just using a generic let's say like throwing an np and k down and not putting any micronutrients or anything else so when you get to the uh when you get to the lower line of the brake pads and rotors you're basically getting the np and k with nothing else with it and as you go to the upper line of that manufacturer you're getting you you're metaphorically your micronutrients what have you and you're getting more you're getting more components into that and a better synergy and that's why you're paying a higher price point it's not what people are that's ah, the same crap well over it's not the same crap and we like to think that because we want to justify buying the cheapest part but that's not the same that's not the same so that's the first thing but regardless of what brake shoes pads drums or rotors you have on the vehicle the things that you could do is and what i'm going to talk about to make these pads make these brakes last and perform is to do a brake job without doing a brake job and that and this is very 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 simple and what i like to do is depending upon the use of the vehicle it could be i get a lot of my ford ranger is a 2000 and two bought new it's got 150,000 miles has all the original brakes on it yet all right i usually get 110 to 130,000 miles out of the front brakes on my cars and three to 400,000 miles out of the rear brakes believe it or not my wife is a little bit harder on brakes than i am she could usually get about 90 or 100,000 out of the front brakes and about 250 to 300,000 miles out of the rear brakes. So I'm telling you this with confidence. I'm not just saying, you know, that I'm setting the bar high and then and you could never you could never achieve it. But what I like to do is at least uh, it's probably not once a year, it may be once a year depending upon the use of the vehicle. But what I like to do is but every every maybe 30 or 40 thousand miles, 50,000 miles between the range, you make your own plan depending upon the use and i like to when i take the wheels off the car or the truck when i take the calipers off and i examine everything 
you want to look for even wear on the pads because it's a floating caliper in most instances it's if it's a multi-piston caliper then the caliper is going to have inboard and outboard pistons and the pads are just going to move if it's only got one piston it's a floating caliper when you step on the brake the piston moves out and the caliper one pad goes against the, the friction material of the rotor and then the other part of the caliper slides towards it and, and squeezes the rotor so you want to look for evenness on the pads where and if you do not have evenness on the pads then the problem is is that pa- that caliper is not returning and historically it's not that it's not returning hydraulically because the piston is not going back in it's because this caliper is floating and it's not floating because and it's hanging up because the, the surface that it rides on that it slides on is either not lubricated dirty or corroded so what i do is i take the calipers off and then depending upon the design i locate all of the pivot, all the slide points and i take scotch brite or emery cloth and i clean them up and i take the pins out of the caliper if it's that type of design that needs to be lubricated and i take the pins out and i clean them and i i polish them up lightly and i lubricate them with a silicone grease i lubricate the slider points with a silicone grease and i put it all back together and then probably every 60 or 70 80 000 miles depending upon the application i will take the rear shoes the rear drums off and you don't even have to lots of times take the, the shoes off which is a pain in the neck lots of times right you take the shoes off what i do is i take a screwdriver and i go between the backing plate i go between the backing plate and the brake shoe and i gently pry it away and then i go in there with a piece of uh, the pivot the slide points where the shoe slides in the backing plate and i and i go and i clean that up a little bit with either a piece of emery cloth on a screwdriver you don't have to make it like a like a like shine like a diamond clean up the pivot points and then i stick some grease in there and the tip of a screwdriver i put the shoes back on i'll take the pivot points with a springs ride and move back and forth and I'll, I'll gently lubricate those and then i'll take the adjuster out if I, if I feel it's sticking and then i will i will take that apart and clean it and put it back together so in essence you're doing a brake job without a brake job and what you're doing is you're all you're you're cleaning you're cleaning and maintaining the points of contact with either the the pad slide and the caliper or the shoes move up against the backing plate now you may say that i'm nuts at this particular point so i'll just let it wear out and i'll just let it wear out and put brakes in well yes you could do that but if you're going to buy quality brake parts and it gets back to the whole premise of my show and my website if you're going to buy quality brake parts and you're going to be putting pads and rotors or drums or something especially on a bigger thing like a bigger truck i mean you're going to have a thousand twelve thirteen fourteen hundred you could ride that up to a thousand dollars very easily in parts i mean even on a small car if you if you buy quality pads oe pads and oe rotors you're going to have probably 150 bucks a wheel you're going to have 300 bucks onto the front of the car all right and that's only because you did not want to maintain it and what i'm talking about here not only will give you increased brake component life but you will have a safer vehicle to drive because by having those slide points all lubricated and cleaned you are going to use you're going to have less parasitic loss when you step on the brake pedal to apply those brakes there's going to be more of that energy being used to stop the car or stop that truck then it is then is going to be first consumed to overcome this internal friction and what you'll find is that when it is when the all of the sliding surfaces are clean and lubricated you're going to just touch that brake pedal very lightly and you're going to move those those pads out or those shoes out and you're going to have then you're going to have better braking performance because you're not going to have to move because you have to think about how it works the master cylinder this is not mechanically linked it's leaked it's linked hydraulically so you have a bore in the master cylinder which is a piston looks like an accelerator pump and when you step on the brake pedal you're pushing this piston in the bore and you're compressing the fluid to make hydraulic pressure to to evoke those brakes if those brake pads 
and shoes move very easily. As soon as you start to step on that brake pedal, you're gonna you're gonna have some effective braking action. So you're gonna make the brakes not the word is not sensitive, but very responsive. Sensitive brakes means you touch it and your head goes through the windshield. That's not what's going to happen. You're going to make the brakes very, very responsive because what will be is that as soon as you build a little bit of hydraulic pressure in that line, that pad is going to move or that shoe is going to move and act as a friction material and start to slow that vehicle down. Whereas when you have a lot of parasitic loss in moving those brake pads or moving those brake shoes you're going to have to really build a lot of pressure and then all of a sudden it's going to come it's going to move out quickly so you'll actually have much better brake feel and feedback from the brake pedal because of that all right because you don't you have nice clean lubricated slide points so that is the key thing that you could do and you don't have to do this every day all right, but you will find that even if you put a synthetic grease on there from going through puddles, from riding in the rain, from moving back and forth, they, just the sliding action back and forth over time is going to displace the grease and push that out. And then, uh, then once the grease is fully uh, displaced, then it's going to start to corrode and rust there, and you're going to have less effective braking performance. And or what you will have is that the one pad will hang up or on the rear drums or one shoe will hang up and you'll be doing a brake job only because half of the brake shoe was worn out or one pad is worn out. So the thing here to drill this home to you is that put this on, you know, and this is great winter stuff. You know, it's winter time, you're in the farm shop, you say, okay, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna pull the wheels off. It's always good to put eyeballs and everything. When you pull when you when you pull the wheels off the car with a truck or before you pull when you jack it up, you know, grab the tire and move it up and down, see if there's any loose components in the front end, tie rod, ball joint, what have you. All right, you check that all out, put eyeballs on it. And really to tell you the truth, if you're geared up for it, the for instance on the front brakes, to pull that caliper off, polish those sliding points, maybe pop those pins out, depending on where the lots of calipers slide on the bolts that fasten it, and they slide also on the bracket. Clean it up, stick some silicone grease in there, look at that spray with some brake clean, clean all the dust off, look at the rotors, and put it all back together. It's really not a big job. And especially if you have the tools to work on it and you're not laying on the ground, if you have a lift or something that you could that you could put the vehicle on, I don't have a lift, I'm doing it on the ground, it's still not a big deal, all right? But the thing here is that you want to try to make those brakes last as long as possible. And if, and you know, the mindset is that I want you to put your money and your time towards building your business, not unnecessarily replacing brakes. Now, the other thing that I want you to do specifically when you take the rotor off and it goes onto a hub, or you take the drum off and it goes onto a hub, that you need to always keep that coated with an anti-seize compound, an anti-seize grease or whatever you want to call it, so it doesn't rust on there. Because lots of times people don't do that, and then what will happen is the rotor will rust onto the hub or the drum will rust onto the hub. And just to get that off, they end up beating a good rotor to death for a good drum to death and have to beat it off and they warp it and they ruin it and it has to be replaced. And also make a habit of putting anti-seize compound on all of the studs for the lugs. So in essence, to recap here, if you go and if you have, you use quality parts and, and, and hopefully OE parts and you do a in-service service meaning take it apart every few years clean it lubricate it put it back together you will be surprised how long those brakes will last and and it's money that's going to be in the bank you're going to have better braking performance you're going to have there's nothing nothing wrong or bad about it and the thing is that or you could just go about the way you're doing and putting brakes in this vehicle and spending that money and you know it's those little details that make the difference as i said last week you know it's not what you make it's what you keep and if you have a if you have a sizable operation and you could let's say double let's say you're getting twenty thousand miles or thirty thousand miles and you could go to forty thousand or sixty thousand miles and you have three pickup trucks on your farm operation and you could go and you could and you could extend that service life with little, with no no out of pocket expense. I mean, 
a can of grease, of synthetic grease, will last you 20 years. And the thing is just a little bit of time to, to, to lubricate those calipers and keep them clean and keep them lubricated and sliding properly. And you take that over your whole fleet of vehicles and then you're saving money on brake jobs, then that's money you could put towards fertility. And that's really the mindset that I want you to think about is that don't say, well, I don't care about the damn brakes, but now if you have three, four, five, or six different vehicles in your operation and you multiply that by six, all right, they, you're, all right you, you're, you're saving a lot of money in parts and you're saving a lot of money in time. And that's what this is all about. As I always say to you, there's nothing that I ever am going to tell you that's gonna make you a nickel. You need to talk to your agronomist and your marketing guy to make you a nickel, all right? Or your seed man or your fertility man what have you, to make your nickel. I am going to save you money. But saving money is no different than making money, right? Because if I could save you money, then you have those funds instead of earmarking that for breaks unnecessarily, that you could use those funds to be able to move your business forward in some other way. And that's what this is all about. So please, use good quality parts all if possible. Do an in-service service, do an in-service service use anti-seize compound on everything and don't over tighten the lugs on whatever it is if you, you're going to use an impact gun invest in those torque sticks and so you don't over torque the over torque the lugs today whether it's a semi or whether it's a car everything is as thin and and lightweight as possible so it's very very unforgiving and the thing is that you don't want to warp a brake rotor or warp a brake drum by over tightening. And you know, as, as much as one of the first things that people learn is to tighten lugs in a crisscross passage, passage pattern, I see guys not doing that all day long. And they'll ram at home, and then the wheel is cocked on, the, 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 the rim is cocked onto the stud, and then they go to the other side, and it's just a nightmare. You know, in the same token, these rims today are not like they used to be. They're not made like Sherman tanks. So the thing is that you really need to bring those lugs up, and I don't care whether it's a semi or whether it's a golf cart, you need to bring those lugs up and snug, snug, snug in a crisscross fashion, then go around and tighten them and bring them, bring them home. And you don't want to tighten any wheel on anything with its weight of the vehicle on it. You want to have it up off the ground, and if you if it has no way for you to stop it from turning, stop it from turning, then you just bring it down very slightly with the jack, just so it touches the ground slightly, so it's friction, so it doesn't turn, so you could tighten those lugs. So it's imperative, it's imperative that you do that, and uh, if you and if you do follow those simple plans, you will be very very surprised on how long that your breaks will last and you could use that time and money to do something else if you have any questions any comments you don't like what i told you well it's the truth and call call me contact me at hot rod farmer at farmmachinerydigest.com and now it is going to be time for me to read to you in a few minutes our toolbox test the one that i messed up last week right that i didn't give you the answer for but as I said in the beginning, always know that the toolbox test is being brought to you by AgroLiquid. They are perfectly calibrated crop nutrition, superior quality, superior delivery, and superior results, right? And I always say results in the field are yield and mileage on your brake components and money in your pocket that you didn't spend on unnecessary brake jobs is the same thing, superior results. So listen, check out AgroLiquid. I know that if you check them out, you'll become an agro-liquid farm. But now we have to invite Tex Rubinowitz in from Ripsaw Records, and he is going to sing for us that great song, The Hot Rod Man. Hit it, Tex. I'm a hot rod man Yeah, I'm a hot rod man Look out, little mama Gonna get you if I can That Tex, he knows how to play it And that Ripsaw Records is working on a new website With Susan Moore From More Good Inc Who is my website person And my uh, podcast maker Into what I'm talking about Be able to put on the internet Show guru And as soon as that website is up 
I will tell you about it and invite you to uh, to visit it because Ripsaw Records, they are the cutting edge of rock and roll and you will find some really, really neat stuff if you're an oldies rockabilly type of person fan. And even if you're not, I think that you'll find some great things there. But anyway, we are going to, we're in toolbox test number two and this is question number one. All righty. Hopefully I don't forget to answer it this time. You are thinking about investing in another self-propelled sprayer for the farm. You do not want to buy a new one since this unit will only be used for foliar feeding and fungicide application. You had a bad experience a few years back when you seriously dinged up and killed some crop due to herbicide residue. You vowed to yourself to eventually get a dedicated sprayer for in-season crop care and nutrition. You found a nice unit a few towns away. The seller said that it worked well until recently when the pressure would not stay steady. He felt it needed a new pump and priced the sprayer accordingly. You agreed with his diagnosis and took the unit home. Upon removal and disassemble of the centrifugal style pump, you noticed the housing was pitted internally and the tip of some of the impeller fins broken off. Confident you found the issue, you bolt on the new pump and hit the field, only to find that the same pressure problem exists. Perplexed and frustrated, you ask around for some advice and this is what you receive. So basically, you bought this sprayer to do foliar and crop nutrition, no herbicide in it. The guy said that it was a problem with the pump with the pressure. You brought it home, you took the pump apart, you found that it was all pitted and busted up inside. You bought a new pump, you put it on, you go into the field to spray and you're having pressure issues. So Farmer A says the new pump is defective and has the same problem as the one you replaced. Farmer B believes that the gauge is wrong and the old pump was fine. Farmer C says that the old pump ate some dirt from the tank and it must still be in the system. That is why the impeller is damaged and the volute pitted internally. And Farmer D is adamant that the original pump was damaged by cavitation. And that is why the pressure is jumping around. So don't be concerned with whether it's Farmer A, B, C, or D. I want you to be concerned with why is that pump acting the same way as the old one did when you bought that sprayer from the uh, farmer a few towns over. All right, now we are going to get into our toolbox test question. And as I said to you before, Toolbox Test is brought to you by Firestone Ag. And that is a company that was founded by Harvey Firestone. And Harvey was a farmer. He farmed in Columbiana, Ohio. And Harvey Harvey dreamt of putting pneumatic tires on farm tractors. Prior to that, as we all know, tractors had steel wheels. And there was a lot of compaction in the field, but the farmer could only go so fast because of the ride and the bouncing up and down and also it tore up the roads so that mindset of thinking out of the box is more than alive today at firestone ag and is responsible for their 23 degree tread bar design ad2 technology tires and the firestone of tracks the replacement track business if you have a track machine you owe it to yourself with a needs tracks to talk to your firestone rep and look the look look over what they have and trust me, I know if you look that you will become a Firestone track farm. So the, the soil is the lifeblood of your farm. Trust it only to Firestone. So now we have a letter, and it's from uh, Merlin Kamarek, if I pronounce it uh, correctly, sir. And it says, Mr. Bohax, we own a 1989 case IH7120 uh, front wheel assist tractor. Our radiator wants to discharge antifreeze to the overflow tank. It is only about a cupful, but just enough to set off the low light. We have about 6,000 hours on the tractor. I talked to a Case IH repair man and told him about it. He thought maybe the head gasket was the problem. The only catch is the warning light comes on when the tractor is idling. He said the light should stay on no matter where the throttle is set. He said that didn't make any sense that the light would go off when throttling it above idle. Do you have a clue to this problem? Thank you. I am a stumped farmer. Well, thank you very much, sir, for contacting me, and I'm sorry about the problem that you're having. 
you know, when I read your letter and I did communicate with you and you did get back to me and you said that you haven't had a chance to do some things with it because it's been wet in the field. I believe the gentleman is in Iowa. But you know, what jumped out to me on your letter was that the the engine speed had something to do with it. it to me, it sounds as if that you have an air-bound system. And when you have an... Now, how did the air get in the system? I do not know. Maybe someone changed the coolant recently, or they didn't change it so recently, and it was just air-bound, and it worked its way through. But the, the, the things that came up to my mind was that it only pukes out a small amount of coolant into the overflow tank so it's not it's not doing a, a it's not continually pushing it out and then as when you raise the engine speed that the low coolant light goes off you didn't make any mention about temperature here that you're seeing on the temperature gauge but that is usually indicative of having an airbound system and then once you go and raise the rpm up is that the pump becomes more effective and is pushing the coolant and air through the system at a faster rate and it becomes uh, becomes a little bit more sensitive to, to, to it and also will start to push some of the air out now in your correspondence to me that i did that i'm not sharing here because this was uh you said that you were going to try a new pressure cap on there and that is very very possible that it is the pressure cap uh anything is possible i've never seen a pressure cap cap act like that the only time i've seen a pressure cap act like that would be that if the the cap itself and the dynamics of the flow of the system would cause the bottom hose to collapse uh but then historically that happens at higher rpm and when you raise the rpm up on your engine that it seems to all fall in line and that doesn't puke out coolant now the mechanic you spoke to thought about possibly a head gasket like i said anything is possible i like to pick the whole low-hanging fruit first but if you do want to go that route there you could you could um there are it's almost like the test strips that you would buy to check the the concentration of the coolant and they they will detect exhaust gas in the coolant and that's the easiest and most effective and most benign way for you to determine in if it's a head gasket and if you follow the instructions on that on the test strips then uh it is very 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 accurate so uh so you could use you could do that if you want personally until i hear back from you and i could follow i'll follow up on the show is i think that the system is sucking air someplace and it may be air that got into the system uh three months ago when you changed the coolant so i don't know what the precursor was to this but historically when you start to belch out coolant and it's very sensitive to engine speed it usually is an air bound an air bound system and or what could be happening if it's an older water pump on there that actually believe it or not one of the one of the blades on the impeller could actually rusted away and became very inefficient but i would say it's a flow issue or air issue i do not think that it is a head gasket and uh but we will follow up on this and let you know whenever you have um either temperature fluctuations in the cooling system for the most part and or and or that you have a uh a, a spitting out coolant uh every once in a while is that it it usually is an air bound uh let me put my tongue back in my mouth the system usually has air pockets in it and when it hits an air pocket the flow gets all disrupted and then when it starts to flow to coolant it could it's usually superheated and it pushes out so the first thing to do is to bleed that cooling system the way you would bleed it is to fill it up run it with the cap off at high idle speed if the tractor has a heater have the heater on or if the truck or car has a heater obviously have that on and then you want you want to wait for all the air bubbles to dissipate and that may take if, if it's air bound that may take 10 15 20 minutes and you have to keep topping it off and keep filling it up so it doesn't introduce any air but that is my best thought on that so now i'm going to do what i should have done last week and it's i am going to answer and if you hear the papers flipping around with this microphone that is uh because it's very sensitive Alrighty. so in essence in our uh, toolbox test we had this sprayer and we put a new pump on and the pressure is not the pressure is erratic and it's not pumping properly and the old pump was destroyed so the correct answer is farmer d 
there is an issue with the plumbing either to the pump or to the boom that is causing cavitation erosion. The clue is the pitted volute, that's the housing of the pump, and the broken tips on the impeller. Due to this restriction, air bubbles are forming that is that destroyed the pump, and if you do not find the problem, the new pump will be damaged in short order. So now, you, I did a show a while back on cavitation, and you may want to look in the archives for that. But the thing to keep in mind is that if you replace a pump and it was destroyed for cavitation, that's why we say on anything you have to do forensics. Just like if you have a plant dying in the field, you have a, you have a disease in the field, you got to do you got to do forensics on that. If you have a flock of birds and there's something getting sick, you have to do some sort of forensic. You have to find out what's going on. So the thing is that if you don't, if the the key here is that pump destroyed itself internally, and that is the hallmark of cavitation. It could be suction side cavitation or it could be it could be pressure side cavitation but ultimately it is cavitation and if you don't look at that you'll be buying a new pump again and again and again so keep that in mind so listen thank you so much for listening i greatly 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 appreciate it and i just want you to know that the hot rod farmer is pulling for you the american farmer and rancher and my beloved beloved america you have a blessed thanksgiving and uh, keep your ears open for next week for the uh, gift guide what to buy the hot rod farmer in your life for christmas see you next week bye bye <laughs>